are you sick of all the free content I'm providing? Do you ever think, hey Tash, I would really love to come and pay for something? I have some great news. I've launched a series of workshops aimed at both beginners, people who are non-change managers, through to masterclasses for more experienced practitioners. Head to www.casadecambio.com.au for more info. Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I'm delighted to have Guy Bova with me. Welcome, Guy. Hello, Tash. Very nice. Hello from Brazil. Very, very, <laughs> it's a pleasure to, to be here and talk to you. Big fan of your podcast. Thank you. Um, how is everything going in Sao Paulo? Uh, well, it's been four months of isolation for me. Um, it's been a journey. And yeah, I mean, um, not much just work and isolation. People here in Brazil, I think it's a bit different from there in Australia. Like we are not, uh, people in general here are not respecting isolation and social distancing. So that's why we are not to a place of, I don't know, leaving our homes. Honestly, even mm-hmm. though people are, uh, it's been two months. I think it's been two months now that the people are just, they were like, yeah, whatever, let's just live life as we used to. Um, and yeah, it's reflecting on the numbers. Like we still on a thousand, over a thousand death, deaths a day here in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And it's been two months of this. So I don't, I mean, I, I only see this improving after we have a vaccine, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's. And I heard you um, in in Australia are like going back to, to, uh, at least in Victoria, you're going back to the isolation mode. Well, <laughs> so we did start. Yeah, we're in a second uh, quarantine in Melbourne, but the rest of Australia is um, doing really well. So everybody <laughs> heads up, and <laughs> we're like the child playground that no other kids want to play with. So, yeah, like a lot of the other states, because I think, as you know, um, Melbourne and Sydney are the most populous cities. The other states are not very, like, densely populated, so they didn't really have too many problems. Um, so they've kind of got zero cases. Um, but, yeah, we've had, like, a second wave in Melbourne and things are getting – they're not very good. They're not looking good. I mean, they're definitely not um, Brazilian levels of bad. But yeah, we're in, we're the only Melbourne Metro and one Shire next to the city is we're all in quarantine and it's mandatory to wear masks in public at the moment. So it's very, very strict. Whereas, you know, um, everyone in other states, like people are going on holiday to Queensland, you know, they're, they're oh. able to do whatever they want pretty much. Um, so yeah, it was, I think we came out of that for maybe a month or six weeks and our bars and restaurants and gyms just started to open. My gym was open for two and a half weeks before it closed again. I was devastated. Um, mm. You know, like I think everyone's, I think, yeah, I, I was going to say, oh, well, a lot of Australians are not respecting the rules and a lot of people from Melbourne are not. And that's why we ha- are having this issue. But probably compared to Brazil, I think the amount of people not following the rules is in the minority. Like every time I go out, everyone has masks on. Like I haven't seen, you know, 
people blatantly breaking the rules, but I think people are just going around and having secret parties and all that sort of stuff and just, yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. follow the rules out of this and, and everyone has to follow the rules. Otherwise, everyone else wears the the cost of that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, hopefully there are two vaccines out there they are look, looking good so hopefully in i don't know december end of this year we'll have hope again i guess so um beginning mm -hmm. last next year we will probably be able to and, and i hope i so hope that um governments will be able to distribute those vaccines to everyone hopefully mm -hmm. um and not only to people who can afford them <laughs> because then if that's the case what's the point um, so yeah, let's, let's see how it goes, but I, I'm hopeful, like less, I, I can, I can stick to, I don't know, four more months of this, I guess, I think. Uh, <laughs> so on quarantine and staying at home, what are you currently watching, reading or listening to? Oh my God. A lot of stuff. <laughs> Honestly, I was thinking, I think I have, I had pre, pre COVID, I had a pretty intense social life because i've been watching so much stuff on netflix amazon hbo mm -hmm. and listening to podcasts and playing video games and i'm like where was all that time before because i didn't have so much time mm -hmm. hope probably i was out living life then so i am watching a lot of things and i don't know about you but my quarantine has been quite intense. I'm a, I'm a bit of a control freak. Before I already was, but now during the quarantine time, I, I have been organizing my day around work and things that I should watch, listen, and play on video game. So for example, I mean, I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race because that show is always on. Did you honestly. watch the finale yesterday? Yes. Yes, I did. I did a break right before the lip sync. So I had my boyfriend live cast for me through his phone. So he was <laughs> filming his laptop because I wanted to watch the lip sync. I was very desperate, but I did watch the whole thing. And I agreed. It was it was cool ending. I liked this. I liked all of the, the this year RuPaul all over both all stars and the normal one. Same, same. Yeah. So and it, that show seems to be always on. Like I'm yeah, constantly watching RuPaul. Versions of Drag Race on at the moment, and it, there's just a new one starting all the time. I'm here for it. There's Canada now. There's Drag Race Canada yeah. here going outside of the US. So I mean, it's always on. That show is always on, which is good. I like that show. Um, and I don't know if you get Drag Race on Netflix there in Australia, but here in Brazil, they do have all seasons. After they finish in the US, they put on Netflix the whole thing. Yeah. And I rewatch it all over again. A different um, provider called Stan, which is only in Australia, but yeah, they have all the seasons. Um, did you watch UK Drag Race? You did, didn't you? I did. Yes, I did. I I'm, I'm tr I I mix my queens. I don't know. Like it's so many seasons that I make. I don't know which one from each season, but I I do remember watching the the, the UK version. I really liked it. Actually, one I had tickets to go see the top five UK queens in April, and that obviously was cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. still like, will I even remember who these queens are by the time they make it to Australia? Mm. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've been watching um, Drag Race because that show is on all the time. And then 
so one, the way I separate my day through in terms of what I watch is in the morning on, and breakfast time, I watch cartoons. <laughs> then um, when I'm working out, um, like I'm working out at home, doing exercise at home. So while I'm at home, I just just turn on the TV and watch something else. So I usually watch some TV drama. Uh, during training, then lunchtime is time for like a comedy, um, quick comedy show. And at night, I like to watch like something indie, more smarty kind of show. So what I would say is cartoons, two ones. I don't know if you're a big cartoon fan or if you have, uh, if you, you watch this kind of stuff, but there are two on Netflix that I really loved watching. So especially growing up in the 80s cartoons in the 80s were just the i don't know how our parents left us watching those things because they were so wrong in so many ways um so we we have the new version of shira on netflix which is new shira. oh my god i'm so getting into that i loved shira when i was a kid girl it's like it's i think it's four or five seasons each episode is like 20 minutes but it's very i mean you, you need to watch it because it's very what? yes it's so i mean it's there is two shows so shira and kipo they are from the same they're from dreamworks animation but they are netflix originals so netflix productions but done from dreamworks studios um and they both are very it's very interesting because they are so um I want to say progressive in terms of the characters they portray um, at all levels, diversity um, in terms of um, gender, body type, color, skin color, but anything. Like it's a both of these shows are really great, and they both have like female lead female characters. Um, Lots about themes about you know emotional emotional intelligence and all that. So those two shows really like there are even if you i mean i'm a 37 gay dude in brazil and i'm watching it and i'm still thinking it's great but if you have kids at home then it's even better because these shows are great to watch with with kids especially boys i would say um this these are great shows so shira and kipo um watch those especially shira then training i just been i just finished watching Girls from Ipanema because I was influenced by someone named Natasha Redman. So <laughs> she told me about this show and I watched it in like, I don't know, like I watched two seasons in pretty much every day during training. So it didn't take long and I loved well, I it. I watched the season in an afternoon, season one, and then season two came out the next week and I watched that over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about, because there's a lot of, um, on that show, it's, first it's like a tv show but i think in the format of a, a telenovela or soap opera which that's it's what i loved about the telenovela aspects to yeah it, like the evil mother-in-law um constant escandalo yes, exactly. like but then it also has this like modern feminist kind of um vibe and it's a bit like a reimagining there's a bit of reimagining of what it might have been like in the 50s because i'm like i think it would have been way worse Ooh. Mm, mm, exactly um, and I, do, I don't know how it translated to you over there because there's a lot of 
jokes they make between um, the competition between Sao Paulo and Rio. Um, yeah. And jokes about that and how she's a Paulista, you know, girl from Sao Paulo, now living in Rio, trying to make a life in Rio. Um, so I was wondering if that translated when you were watching it, if it makes sense, those those types of jokes. Yeah, it did. Like I kind of got the whole, you know, Sao Paulo is boring and conservative and Rio is fun and modern and, you know, well, that was obviously maybe the case back when. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I definitely got that Sao Paulo is, you know, all the old money rich people who don't know how to have fun and Rio is like where all the crazy stuff and the new modern ways mm. are happening. Yeah, I definitely got that. But I guess not being from there, maybe I didn't fully understand it. Yeah, so but it was. To ask you, are you team Chico or team Roberto? I'm team Roberto. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Chico is just, yeah, he's not a nice guy. Um, but yeah, it's funny that you said that, the thing about Rio and Sao Paulo back then, because now it's inverted. Like Sao Paulo is the mm -hmm. cultural place to be in Brazil and Rio. It's not that Rio is lame, not at all. Like it's just a, the, it's a great place still. But in terms of the cultural scene, pretty much everything happens in Sao Paulo first and then we export to Rio. So it was funny mm -hmm. to see how back then Rio was the place to be and now Sao Paulo is kind of like the place to be now uh, nowadays. Yeah, so like is Rio like the Sydney and Sao Paulo is like the Melbourne of Brazil? Yes, exactly. And I know you have that thing in Australia as well. <laughs> um, so moving on to career, I wanted to ask you, what is the best piece of career advice you ever received? Well, I think the best one would be um, to, and I think you told that yourself <laughs> to me once, uh, but I had other people say that to me as well. It is to kind of like don't sell myself short or value the um, my time through work because I suffer from, I mean, I, I believe all good professionals should suffer a little bit from imposter syndrome a little bit mm -hmm. because that keeps you check and check, like, you know, in your toes and for your skills and your career. But I feel like with me was was a bit of a problem because I always was when I told people how much I was charging for my work, they were like, really, you're a senior, you're a senior professional and you are charging this, this, you should be charging way more than this. And I was always kind of like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. So this was a learning curve for me, how much I should charge for my work and high and saying no as well to offers uh, that were not good. Even if the work was good and interesting, I was, I need to get to a point of, yeah, now I'm in a point in my career after 12, 13 years that I, do, I just don't need, I need to be paid well. Um, yeah. So that was a learning curve. So I think that was the best because when I started doing that, things really improved for me um, in terms of the choices that I was making for, for the work I was getting and for my career in general. Amazing. So let's talk about your work. You are currently the director of design at a company called TopTown. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So, yeah, so I'm working now. It's it's interesting because, <clears throat> as I was saying, my there was a shift in my career recently. So when I accepted this director of design role at TopTal, um, because before I was doing, I, I, I've always been a designer. I've always worked with visual design, graphic design, you know, 
web UX UI design um, through I would say what 13 14 years and then mm -hmm. it came the time I think we were traveling last year and uh, through our little travel that we did last year through Latin America and um, I was thinking about the next step what I should do when I got back to Brazil and there was this offer about becoming director of design at TopTal which is related to design a little bit but it's it's a it's a weird one because it's a mix between recruitment HR account management all packed in the design um, cult that I think that that's that's the best way to explain the role that I am right now but it's very different because I don't execute design anymore um, so my role so let's top tile is a global company so it is a large market for freelancers globally and both freelancers and clients so we offer clients uh, at a global scale to freelancers and we also um, offer freelancers at a global scale to clients everywhere in the world. So that's that's our business model. So what I do is I m match, it's kind of like a Tinder of like a human Tinder for professionals. <laughs> so I match clients with talents globally. So I have a call with the client, understand the brief, do kind of a high level technical consultancy role a little bit in terms of what the the type of the skills should be applied there, the type of project and the scope of the project. I brief those talents and then I send to you the client. So that's that's kind of my role and I do a high level management of the, the project for them. So that's that's pretty much the role that I'm doing right now, which again, it's pretty different from design. So it was a big kind of um, change in my career, I would say. Um, for that matter, the, at least the dynamic of what I'm doing on a daily basis is very different from creative work uh, when doing executing design work. Yeah, yeah. And so you work completely remotely, right? Yes. So how long have you Guess been it. working completely 100% remotely for? I th It's been on and off, actually. I've been doing freelance work um so I have, I would say I have 14, 15 years of experience overall, and I think half of that would be remote and freelancing, but not consecutively. So I think right now it's been five, five years that I've been doing this um, consecutively. But before it was like on and off, I would go to a full-time full -time gig and then go back to freelance and then full-time again. But right now it's been five years. Yeah. And as someone who has been working remotely for five years, um, how do you find it? I honestly, I love it. I'm so used to, to working remotely that I don't, I cannot imagine doing working um, in a different way. I do, I do meet sometimes the because, it's, it's, and this is specific to my role at TopTal that I. TopTal is the, I, I believe it's the largest uh, remote company in the world right now because all of our, all of their employees are remote and our talent network is also all remote and our client network is also all remote. So mm -hmm. even though I talk to, I don't know, like 20 to 30 different people every day, I do meet sometimes actually hanging out with people. And before TopTal was really, before COVID, TopTal was really good at um, creating those events so we could locally meet people, um, other talents or core team members. Uh, I do miss that. But how? that being said, I think um, 
remote work for me is just like breathing right now. I don't, I don't, I don't see myself doing anything else. I'm so adapted. So I guess the reason I wanted to chat to you about remote work is because you are someone who your job is remote work. And for a lot of us, you know, myself included, working remotely 100% of the time is very new. So I really wanted to get your perspective as somebody who has been doing it for such a long time and sees it as normal. Um, so I wanted to also ask, you know, we're talking about COVID and have you seen an increase in demand for remote workers since COVID? Um, it's hard to say. I, I did see in some aspects because, um, well, the way my parameter would be my daily work routine. So in that matter, it, there was not a real increase in the workload, but there was not a decrease as well. But I know that, of course, some some businesses were able to adapt better to this and some did not. Mm. Like, for example, my clients in the aviation industry, they suffered a lot. So they pulled the plug on a lot of hires. That being said, people on e-commerce, they started hiring like crazy because e-commerce yeah. suffered a boom yeah. during this during this thing. So the, I think it leveled up a little bit. Um, I did see an increase in different types of business and a decrease in others. So for as at least on, on my job, I saw it, it was kind of like the same um, normal flow of work. But I did see it depends on the industry, uh, honestly. What we did experience, um, at least on my job at TopTal, we saw a lot of people, much more people applying to become freelancers at TopTal um, during yeah. this thing, which is, I think it's natural because they either lost their jobs or they were just trying to get this extra gig for the future. I don't know, but we did see on the talent side, on the freelancer side, we did see a, a significant increase of, uh, in applications. Yeah, yeah. And so post-COVID, do you think the demand for remote workers, I mean, you talked about some industries going up and others dropping. Do you think demand for remote workers will stay higher post-COVID or do you think it will go back to pre-COVID levels? I don't know. I was thinking about that because <clears throat> honestly, I think that what happened in the market was that remote work and working from home was kind of um like a treatment for something like COVID hit and we need to adapt quickly it was mm -hmm. kind of like an intervention really like just we need to figure things out you, you guys cannot come to the office so we needed to mm -hmm. to you guys need to work from home um so there was that first period of companies running around trying to figure out the companies and employees as well um running around trying to figure out how to do that but after the, I think after the first month, people are, and even after a couple months, uh, while I'm talking to my friends now that were working, were not working remotely and now are obliged to, you know, work remotely, they mm -hmm. are like, I don't know if I can go back to, to that. And even businesses are also, I have a few friends that had uh, agencies um, fully operating um, on site, no, not remotely. And they're mm -hmm. like, yeah, actually, it's been interesting to see how that reflects on productivity, positively on productivity, and also how we save money on yeah. rent, on, <laughs> on space, energy. Um, of course, you're transferring that to your employee, so that should be addressed. But um, 
overall, I think, I don't think people will just go back to the way things were because now they are adapting, they're, they're releasing the value in, in remote work. That's, that's my take on it. I don't, I don't know if there will be an increase uh, because I think the increase already happened due to COVID. They were forced to go back home, but I don't think they will just go back to the way things were. At least that's, that's my hope. Yeah. And so on that, um, do you think workers will move away from, you know, big city centres um, and live anywhere because they don't feel, they won't feel the need to be physically present in an office? Or do you think people will still live near their offices? Uh, I, I think it depends on the job they do and their personal preferences or you know circumstances really um, if for example myself I do this job before when I was doing design work <clears throat> I wouldn't feel very comfortable about like just taking my computer my laptop and going working from different cities every month because I need my things organized I need a chair a comfortable chair yeah. to do creative work you know what I mean but nowadays, with the work that I do, I, I've been traveling more pre-COVID um, throughout Brazil and, and doing my work because I just need, it's pretty much uh, talking to people and answering emails and organizing work. So I can do that pretty much anywhere. Um, I, I, so I, what I'm saying is I, it really depends. I don't, I don't know if, um, I don't think everyone could become a digital nomad as, as, as it is I, I think it will depend on their if they have kids for example um, but mm -hmm. I do feel like uh, cities will start organize themselves a little bit different um, especially leaving mm -hmm. of course I'm sure in Melbourne you've seen that reflected and here in Sao Paulo as well the the difference in how people are um, commuting um, the times they're commuting, the times they're going to the supermarket, the city is different. I feel like the city is different. It's behaving differently nowadays. Mm -hmm. Even if we are returning to normal, um, I feel like people will, the city will be so much changed, so changed that they, they will also take that into account when they decide if they want to commute to work again, um, where they want to live in the city and all that. So I think that also plays a, a, a factor in terms of people's decision about remote work and where and where they live. Because the cities, Sao Paulo is a different city right now. Um, so I might not like to live in a neighborhood in Sao Paulo pre-COVID, but now after people are com not commuting too much work, traffic's not that terrible, then I might reconsider where I live in Sao Paulo. So I think there is there is that factor as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Melbourne's very different at the moment. I went into the city centre a week ago because um, I had a medical appointment and it was dead. There was no one there. Um, most of the shops were closed. Like hardly anyone was around. It was just the complete opposite of what it usually is. So it'll be interesting to see what they go, you know, where that ends up. Um, so as someone who has been working remotely for many years, what advice do you have for those of us who are working remotely for the first time? Mm, interesting. Well, first, check your expectations. <laughs> the first thing mm. I would say that check your expectations, because when we say remote work, 
um, people think of a life of traveling. As I said, it really depends on your circumstances. So check those expectations and really see um, what, how you, what goes well with your routine before you make any plans or have any ambitions about remote work. So expectations is the first thing. Uh, expectation control, I would say. Um, then again, routine is very important. I think um, the the biggest mistake coming into remote work, not mistake, but I think it's only natural to adapt a little bit and not, um, you know, organizing your routine, what you should do first, uh, if you should reply to emails. And then, you know, I, I think it, there's a very, it's very different when you wake up in the morning eat your breakfast and commute to work when you just wake up in the morning, eat your breakfast and you're at work already. Um, so you need to organize your day. So you have working hours as well as off hours. So mm -hmm. creating that routine of work is very important. And each one, each job has its own routine, but you need to find that if your team doesn't have one already, you should try to get one because as I said, remote work is different from, um, on-site work. So having that routine ready, um, especially the tools you use, that's another tip as well to um, learn about all the remote tools you can use, um, either if they are organizational or just collaborative tools for your team or for your clients. That's very important as well because that will dictate your routine and how you perform in your work. So tools is important. And then, of course, really ask for help. Um, I I think sometimes people um, neglect the power of just going to a community on Facebook, I don't know, whatever social media you are into, um, and ask for help for other peers. Uh, LinkedIn, for example, go there and if you have a friend of a friend who's working remotely or in a company, a remote work, ask for help, see how how they organize their day, how, what types of tools they use and all that. I think, I think that's very, very valuable advice as well. Amazing. That is great advice. Thank you, Guy. Um, anything yes. else you'd like to say or advice you'd like to give before we wrap up? No, I think, well, there are two things. So because um, we are top tall, we are such a, well, we've been doing this for a while and we were in a very, I wouldn't say very good position, but since remote work was the 2020 topic this year, I would say uh, what we did is we put together, and this is live, so anyone who goes to the TopTal website can see it and do, and this is more related to businesses. So we did create like a survey, kind of like a test so, you, so business can assess their remote readiness um, right now, so they can do this assessment and see what type of things they need to improve in terms of to be more remote ready. And also mm -hmm. there is there a nice playbook in terms of how to turn into like a remote ready company as well. So I think those two, those two documents are, are good ways for, for companies and even professionals or freelancers or people who are considering going remote to, to look at and see, okay, I've never thought of this topic here. I might check this because um, if I don't do this, if I might not succeed in, in remote work or, or turning my team into remote. So I think that's that's it really. I think there is a lot of resources online right now with uh, with the topic. 
So if you're thinking about going remote, or of course you probably are already, uh, but if you're considering, should I go back to, to on-site before? Should I keep remote? I think those documents um, and blog posts and all that are a good resource of um, really understanding the 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 goods and bads about remote work and be prepared for those things. Amazing. Well, Guy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. Bye. Bye.